So uh, last time I'll mention anything about Super Bowl, but I've got some interesting facts. If you're going to a party today, you're going to want to know these, okay? You're going to want to be able to share these brilliant little pieces of information. Uh, so the first Super Bowl was held in 1967, and at that Super Bowl, the highest price ticket was, guess it? $12, highest price ticket, and even at $12, they couldn't sell the place out. Now, I know you might say, yeah, but what about all the inflation and all that sort of stuff? That would be $89 today, $89. Today, if you wanted to be at the Super Bowl, obviously none of us uh, chose to make that decision, uh, tickets would start at $2,300. So things have changed a lot in this sport. Uh, in 1983, this is an interesting one, um, 1. 1.6 million people tuned into a TV show to see the final episode, 1983. Anyone know what that TV show was? MASH. Lots of us knew it. What a great show, right? 1.5 million people. It was another more than 25 years before any show matched that, and it happened to be the Super Bowl in what year? 2010. It was 2010 before that was matched, and now today some 115 million people are going to turn on their TVs to watch this mediocre game that we're going to get to see. <laughs> yeah. But more to the point and where we're going to, the text we're going to be in today and the conversation we're going to have, uh, the U.S. Department of Agriculture says that Super Bowl Sunday is America's second largest food consumption day of the year. Now, um, uh, you probably know what number one is, right? Thanksgiving, right. Uh, but Super Bowl is the second. So today, many of us will eat well. Uh, many of us will enjoy food. Today we're going to be in John chapter 6, uh, and it's the story of quite the opposite. Uh, a, a group of very hungry, marginalized, and hurting people uh, coming to Jesus, and we're going to consider his response and what happens there. Have you ever been truly hungry? Have you ever, like, been truly, I, yeah, I hear a teenager say yes every afternoon, right? Yeah, so, uh, yes. Uh, have you ever been truly hungry? Uh, when, I w when I was, what, 17 years old, I went to Botswana, Africa for three months where I was considering uh, what I'd be studying in college, thinking about missions and overseas, and God did remarkable things there. But for two nights on that visit, I was there with my uncle, who was a, a missionary there. Um, he, had a, he had a young man my same age named Cosmos who worked on his property there. And Cosmos became a good friend while I was there. Cosmos spoke a little bit of English and could understand a little bit more than he could speak. Uh, we got along well, though. He was kind of my safety net, uh, you know, around the villages and throughout Africa. Um, and uh, he was a remarkable guy. Well, for two nights, I went to live with Cosmos at his house. Uh, it's kind of part of me just wanting to get that experience, kind of part of just the adventurous nature. I just wanted to experience as much as I could while I was there in Africa. And uh, Cosmos was old enough that he had a little hut outside of the family reed fence where the rest of the family lived inside that area. He had this little eight-by-eight eight hut. Um, and all the possessions that Cosmos had to his, his name uh, were uh, one, one change of clothes other than the ones he was wearing. He had a little cot uh, made on the, on the dirt floor there that he would sleep on. And he had a radio uh, jerry-rigged uh, to a car battery that he could play music with. And that was, that was the extent of what Cosmos owned. And he, um, each morning we would get up and we would enter the family complex there and we would sit around a fire with his family, none of whom spoke English. And, uh, we would eat this, um, like rice mush 
just just a little bit of it um, for breakfast. And then you'd wait until dinner time uh, that evening after the sun's gone down, and you would sit down and you'd have that same mush with a little bit of cabbage, and if you're really lucky, uh, a few little pieces of chicken just to kind of give this stuff some flavor. And so for over two days, I, I, um, I was hungry. Like, I knew hunger. And yet, there was something remarkable in seeing God work in that situation and the realities of what I was experiencing there. Uh, the hunger was real, and yet the experience of God's provision and guidance, the Spirit's work, was also remarkable in those same moments. So today, uh, we're in John chapter 6, and John uh, has written down the story. He says, this is, this is what I experienced with Jesus. I want people to know what my experiences were. And I can only imagine that this was a pretty pivotal, significant story in, in John's repertoire as he taught in the churches, as he led churches in the first century. I'd imagine this story was one of those, uh, one of those repeatable stories. When you get together, uh, maybe not so much at a Super Bowl party, but at a family event or a family reunion, uh, you know how you keep coming around to those, do you remember when stories? Right? You keep coming back to those stories. Do you remember when this happened? And today John says, hey, do you remember when Jesus this. Let's read John chapter 6, verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. When Jesus went up on a mountainside, he sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. So Jesus here, uh, he's increasing in popularity. People are beginning to know who he is. His notoriety, notoriety is on the rise at this point in his ministry. People know that he's a healer. Some people are questioning, is he a great prophet? Could he even be the Messiah? Uh, people are starting to know more and more of Jesus. And at this point in the story, the, this story is told both in the Gospel of John and in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, uh, he describes uh, some of the things leading up. To this event. Let me just say the apostles and Jesus are exhausted. They are tired. Crowds continually follow them. They're seeking refuge, a quiet place to be away. And so as Jesus travels further out into northern Israel, into this remote region, he travels further and further from the comforts and the norms and the realities of people's lives, and yet they follow. Jesus leads a crowd of people further and further from home and the things they know out into this wilderness where then he sits down on top of a mountain as a rabbi, a Jewish teacher would do in, in the day. He sits down. It's time to talk. It's time to teach. Okay, uh, the text continues in verse 5. Uh, when Jesus looked up and he saw the great crowd coming towards him, uh, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? He asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a single bite. Jesus turns to his closest followers with a test. Now, they'd been watching him perform miracles, uh, heal people, and cast out demons. All sorts of remarkable things have happened already in this journey. And so Jesus kind of begins to question, so where's your faith? 
right? Where's your trust? Uh, How do you perceive challenges and obstacles that might be ahead in our journey? And so he takes advantage of this crowd coming, and he poses a challenge, a test, a question to his people. Where will we get enough food for all these people? Now, uh, Philip, um, he steps in with an immediate answer. It's going to cost too much money. Uh, He's probably also remembering and thinking there's not a village nearby. How would we even get there and buy all that bread? They would get only a bite. And he looks over to Judas, who's stealing money out of the money bag, and he's like, I know we don't have enough money to buy food for all these people, right? Um, So uh, Jesus has posed a question. Philip jumps in immediately. He's like, sorry, it just can't be done. This is one of those teachable moments in life. Uh, It's been really fun. Jeremy Pellicer and I um, have been coaching a chess team at our kids' new school here, Amon Creek. And uh, and I love the game of chess. I love the strategy. And I love seeing kids take to it and uh, and learn so much through that process. At the tournaments, though, when you go to a tournament, uh, quite often with young kids, uh, one uh, player will claim checkmate. And the judges come to check the end of each game. And um, if, if, uh, if the player believes they have the other in checkmate, uh, but it's actually not, it, it's stalemate or something, you know, it, it should be a tie game, the coaches aren't allowed at that moment to say, no, it's not, and this is the move you could make, or no. Uh, if a player's mistaken and thinks, yeah, they beat me, uh, then the game's over and the score goes to that other player. Uh, and, and it happens quite a bit more than you'd like to admit with your own team and kids. However... Um, what happens afterwards is one of these teachable moments. The question is posed, right? Are you thinking this through, right? Are you, are you perceiving the things around you is what Jesus is asking of his followers. And in the same way, this coach comes to the kids and they, they give them two chances. They say, are you sure it's checkmate? Yeah. Are you sure it's checkmate? And sometimes the kid just doesn't get it and, and it results in a loss. But the teachable moment uh, comes not only in the question, but after. When the coach will go record the scores and then walk the kids back to the table, uh, that, that student, and teach them what could have happened in that moment. The, the judges will take the time to sit down with the student. It's these teachable moments in life and they happen in really big and in really small ways in our lives. Peter says, or Philip says, it's just not possible. Uh, they, they, they experience doubt and they experience fear in the face of Jesus' challenge. And remember what it said, but Jesus already knew what he was going to do in the situation. Can you imagine them squirming in this moment as Jesus already knows the solution and yet they find themselves uh, stuck, not knowing how to handle it. Verse 8, another of his disciples, Andrew, uh, Simon Peter's brother, he spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many people? Now that is a good question as well. Can you imagine the way people scoff at him as he comes forward? Like, well, here's what we got, right? It's almost worse than having nothing and just saying there's no option here. Send the people on home. But he comes and well, there's this boy. And I, you know, the text doesn't tell, did the boy come and volunteer this? Or is Andrew taking a little kid's lunch money? Can't tell exactly in the text. I would think it's the former, though. I do think that uh, a boy comes forward with what little he has, uh, saying, here we go, here's an option. 
You know, in these moments of over, overwhelming fear of circumstances and challenges that seem outside of our scope and ability to engage, there's a few different ways that we'll often engage them. Uh, one, we might come up with a plan, right? Uh, we might kick into management mode and say, okay, here's our resources, here's what we can do, let's arrange it, and we immediately go towards solution when we experience these big questions, these big challenges, these insurmountable potentially tasks in life. Sometimes we go straight into management mode and it's like, I can figure this out, I can do this, I'm going to accomplish this on my own. Sometimes we insulate ourselves, right? Sometimes we back away from the situation and hide from it and sometimes we find ourselves just stuck in despair. I was a teenager growing up here in the Tri-Cities, and um, after church uh, after, at a potluck one day, uh, my friends and I were looking for something constructive and fun to do, so we went outside to throw hard pieces of candy at the cars as they drove by. And um, we were hiding behind the church sign and throwing these, and fortunately we were, had really bad aim, so rarely did we hit a vehicle until finally we hit a vehicle. And the brake lights come on and the tires start screeching. We went into management mode. It's like, make a plan. What are we going to do about this? Run away, right? So we ran. Our, our first, our first uh, reaction was just to run. And we ran around the church building and we went in kind of a back door, hoping people wouldn't notice us coming in. And we kind of snuck into the crowd and tried to look really normal. We tried to isolate ourselves from the problem that we had created from the situation at hand. Um, and a gentleman came in quite upset, and he began speaking with the pastor and pointing over towards us. And we were taken back into a room with our parents and the pastor and, and this man. And we did what caused despair, at least for me. We just denied it. And it was so obvious. Like, he even said, I saw... I, Kurt Cobain and I were twins back then. I had hair halfway down my back. And he said, I saw your hair sticking straight out as you ran away, you know. And we just continued to deny it. And, uh, you know, in, in the long run, I, we, we lost a lot of sleep. The guy's windshield was replaced. Uh, and... Um, and people acted graciously, but it caused that despair. You see, in these moments in life where uh, whether it's self-imposed or something from the outside pressing upon us in these moments where we have seemingly insurmountable things uh, at our doorstep, uh, we'll often either come up with a plan, we'll hide from it, or we'll find ourselves just stuck in despair. So we'll continue and we'll see how Jesus engages it and what results. Uh, verse 10, Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish when 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 they had all had enough to eat. He said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come to make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Let's just touch on the end of the text there before we rewind and look at the miracle that he performed. Having performed this miracle, people are like, this is him. Now, Israel is stuck under Roman rule. 
They do not have a king, nor are they allowed to have a king, uh, because Caesar says the only king is myself. Uh, So they are a vassal state to Rome. Israel has been through terrible times and hundreds of years of persecution and exile. And uh, many people following Jesus here are, are hungry. Famines ravage the land. Uh, They have no king to take care of them, no central organization to pull them together. And they see this man, Jesus, doing remarkable things. And now it says 5,000 men were there. um, So we project how many women and children were there. And there was between, I don't know, 10 to some even project 20,000 people around Jesus. And they're like, this is our moment. This is our king. We're going to put him on the throne Jesus uh, did not come to rule uh, an earthly kingdom, to rule as other kings rule. But came, you remember his, his prayer, he says, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as, as it is in heaven. Jesus' prayer and his mission was not to rule as a king on a throne in an earthly way, but instead to invite the goodness of heaven down to earth to begin to transpose itself upon the suffering and the challenges and the things of this world. So Jesus uh, withdraws to a quiet place by himself. He'll not be made king. Now back to the miracle. So uh, some 10 or 20,000 people are here in this place. They have five loaves of bread and two fish, and it's not going to go far. So Jesus, he gets up and he breaks the bread and begins distributing it. And it multiplies. And thousands and thousands of people eat that day. Let's take a minute and consider the position of this boy in the text. There's a few ways he could have engaged this situation. He could have isolated himself. He could have hid and just eaten his little lunch and known that he'd be okay to get home that day, right? Uh, He could have, were he feeling really generous, uh, he could have looked out for the most needy people nearby him, and he could have offered them his meal, right? And, and, and that would have been really gracious and kind. Here's the fascinating thing about the text to me. Because the, because the boy chose to come and bring his small, meager, insufficient gift to Jesus, not only he, but everyone got to experience abundance that day. Right? Rather than taking and kicking into management mode and saying, I can tell um, that gentleman or or that woman is most in need, I'm just going to give them my food. He brings it to Jesus, and in Jesus, the meager, uh, unsatisfying, you know, it's not enough, becomes more than enough, becomes abundance in the hands of Jesus. You see, it, it, this, this principle of bringing first to Jesus our gifts and our abilities and our time, I think, holds remarkable potential for how we engage in this world. Jesus is the one who provides. He is the one that multiplies the meager little offerings that we have and does remarkable, amazing things. Yet he will use our resources, he will use our willingness, he'll use our time as catalysts to bring about incredible change in, in, in which thousands of people will come to know the goodness of God, the abundance that Jesus provides. Now there is a reality here that I want to address because um, uh, sometimes I think in our, in our church cultures we get caught up in, uh, sometimes it's called a health and wealth uh, mentality where like if I follow Jesus, if I do good things, then I'll be wealthy, right? Uh, or I'll, I'll be completely taken care of. 
The fact is, Jesus performed a beautiful and remarkable miracle here, uh, but these people suffering and hungry went home the next day and continued in their lives. There is this reality that Jesus provides what's needed. Uh, he gives abundantly, and yet there's not this guarantee that my life will go smoothly, that it'll be easy, that I'll have all the finances or all the time or whatever as a reward for the things that I give. This is the reality of our walk. In fact, Jesus says, if you follow me, you'll suffer. It'll be challenging. And this is a very real question I think we each ask ourselves. What am I willing to give in this cause? What am I willing, how am I willing to engage, to allow myself, like Jesus chose the role of a servant, to engage as a servant, giving generously, loving deeply, right? Engaging in the ways of Jesus in this world and knowing that I'll know the abundance of Jesus, but it won't always come in a monetary or in a comfort comfortable form. Remember, Jesus led them out into the wilderness, away from their safety, away from the things that they, uh, that they knew and clung to in life. And here they are in a vulnerable place experiencing the abundance of Jesus. And friends, that is my prayer for us, that we can know the abundance of Jesus even when we find ourselves out in a remote place, that we will be led by Jesus into these places, allowing him uh, to show us remarkable things, allowing us to know his abundance. So how do we apply this? What does it mean in my life? What do I walk away with this week considering because Jesus fed some 5,000 10,000 people on this mountainside 2,000 years ago. I want to mention two things, one on kind of a church level and then the other on a personal level. And I want to consider, uh, you, you're, you're grown people, you know things, uh, you are invited to apply this in any way that God is laying on your heart today, but I want to prompt a few things in our minds as we consider, what do I do with this text that, that uh, John brought for us here today? As a church, we've known the abundance of Jesus. Uh, it was a little over three years ago that Sarah and I were both working in comfortable jobs and making a fine income. Uh, we had just moved into a new home, and uh, things were fairly smooth in many ways in our lives, and yet God had been placing on our hearts, um, uh, some, some authors call it a holy discontent, like this feeling like there's something more God is inviting us, challenging us to something new in this next stage of our journey. And after a long season of prayer and fasting and considering, exploring different options, God opened our eyes to church planting. We gave up uh, our salaries and uh, found ourselves at the mercy of friends and families and people that said, yeah, we want to jump on. We want to be a part of this journey. We want to join you in these different ways. Uh, we found ourselves led far out into a wilderness that we were entirely um, inequipped. Uh, like our offerings were quite meager and insufficient and continue to be today. We all know that. Come on, right? Uh we didn't have it in us, and yet God was leading us into this place. And it's been this remarkable journey, uh, slow, steady, but beautiful, and we are so grateful to be together today to see God doing remarkable things, not just in us, but in the ways that we go out and engage a community, that lives are being changed, that people are being helped. And we've known God's abundance. This last year alone, uh, as a church, you all uh, gave uh, over $20,000 to families in need, to organizations both no locally and internationally. Um, you donated uh, hundreds 
hundreds of hours of time to changing the lives of people. We have, we have known abundance in this journey, and yet we find ourselves in this place now um, where it is time to seriously consider a next step as a church. Uh, facilities, you know, are we going to purchase? Are we going to lease? What does this next move look like in life? And I'll tell you, it's one of these big, almost insurmountable-seeming things you know, where do the finances come from? Do we have uh, the people group? Uh, what changes when you change location, right? Does it work for everyone? Maybe it doesn't. Big questions come to the table, and it would be quite easy to get into management mode and just to say, uh, nope, this is what we need for our people. It would be quite easy to experience some despair or some fear in this journey. Uh, it would be quite easy to insulate ourselves and say, well, what are we going to do for our little church? But here's my prayer for us as a church as we move into the next, this next stage of the journey and as we consider this text that John had for us today as Jesus feeds 5,000 people. My prayer is that we would take what we have, give it to Jesus to leverage for this community. My prayer is that we ask questions just as much uh, about um, who are the community partners, who are the people that we can bless in this next stage of the journey, just as much as we ask the questions of managing the finances or the location or these different things. It is my dream uh, that we as a people can come together and uh, we can prayerfully consider what does it look like to give this next stage to Jesus. And in that, friends, I believe we will see abundance and opportunity. And I'm excited for that. Now, on a personal level, I think we all get to ask uh, some questions of ourselves in this text. Uh, we might find ourselves in one of two places in this text today. We might find ourselves as that person in need, one of those many people out there with no food, hungry, far from home, feeling lost or abandoned or fearful, but just hoping that Jesus would demonstrate abundance. And so I would invite people in that place to consider what it looks like uh, to prayerfully watch for the abundance that Jesus is providing, uh, to come amongst a community, uh, to be vulnerable enough to ask, and in that community, I believe Jesus will continue to provide abundance. So some of us might find ourselves in, in, that, in that difficult situation saying, I just need Jesus' help. May we as a community rally together and know the abundance of Jesus in those situations. Secondly, though, um, I'll, I'll, I'll ask this of us. I'll challenge us with this. Um, what I have, I want to bring to Jesus first, right? Um, there's nothing wrong. Uh, in fact, it's a beautiful and good thing to go ahead and, and give money or a meal to a homeless person. But there's also ways that we as a people can bring our resources to Jesus and leverage them through community partnerships that might not just help that person have one meal, but get off the street, right? There's a lot of ways that we can consider, I can take immediate action, and that's not always wrong. That's not a negative thing. However, are we, are we bringing our resources before Jesus, uh, that they can be leveraged in this community in far greater ways uh, than, than the momentary immediacy of a need. So uh, that's a challenging question, and there's not easy answers. And it is not my goal to say that we shouldn't be answering immediate needs. We need to be doing both. But it is my prayer that we will consider, what does it look like for me to, uh, to bring my resources before Jesus and see them multiplied and abundance produced in ways that I, in and of myself, could not have done?
So friends, today as we head out, I want to remember um, that each of us, however much or however little we have, are not without anything. Can you imagine being that boy approaching the apostles, approaching Jesus, knowing that it's just not enough? That's terrifying. And yet he brings what little he has, and Jesus does remarkable things with him. What kind of resources, what kind of time, what kind of talents do we have in our lives? And is today the day Jesus is saying, hey, will you bring that little bit to me? And let's see if we can experience remarkable, miraculous, life-changing results in the lives of other people. That is our invitation today, and let's pray about it. Father God, thank you for this time together. We thank you uh, for, for your words that John recorded. Father, that, that we can know of the ways of Jesus. Father, may we, like a small boy, um, bring to you the things we have to offer. Father, will you continue to work miraculously, that we could know uh, the abundance that only you can provide, that lives would be changed, that mouths would be fed, that homeless would find places uh, and, and sustainable ways of living. Father God, we just ask for your miraculous hand involved in the things that you invite us to engage in. Father, may we be uh, selfless, uh, less of ourselves, and know more of you in that journey. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.